If you have your Bibles, please open them there. While you're turning your Bibles, I almost forgot to say this. I do just want to congratulate all of our graduating seniors. That is such a wonderful accomplishment to be able to graduate from high school or to be able to graduate from college. Both of those are very special in a person's life. I remember those times that I graduated and just the whole idea of being launched into a new stage of life with all kinds of new freedoms. I had an opportunity yesterday to do something I'd never been invited to do before. I had the opportunity to speak uh, at a graduation commencement ceremony yesterday. And the very first point that I offered them, I wanted to offer them a word of encouragement and with that a challenge. And my word of encouragement was this, enjoy the freedoms, your newfound freedoms that you will have. Because, you know, for the last 17, 18 years, as students, your parents have been making most decisions for you. But as you are launched into this new stage of life, many of you are going off to school. You're going to find yourself in a different environment, and you're going to have all kinds of newfound freedom. And I would also challenge you at the same time, practice that newfound freedom with biblical responsibility with biblical responsibility. You know, freedom is a gift, and I'm reminded of what my father always told me as a boy growing up. He used to say to me, Jeff, freedom doesn't give you the ability to do what you want to do. Freedom gives you the ability to do what you ought to do. And you know what? That is true freedom. True freedom gives us the ability to do what we ought to do. The freedoms we have should always be practiced with biblical responsibility. And you know what? That's a word for all of us this morning, isn't it? We all need to be reminded of that as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to enjoy the freedoms that we have, and we need to practice them with biblical responsibility. That is my sermon message to the graduates this morning, all right? And the reason is because Brother Travis did a good job over there earlier at the uh, Family Life Center. He brought a message to him, a word of encouragement. But congratulations, guys. Congratulations, parents. I know many of you have poured into the hearts and the lives of your students. Uh, you know, I was saying this morning, I've never seen a father so happy as Brother Wade McLean. Yeah. Yeah, because his son is diligently looking for work now. He's seeking employment, and so he's not here in the second service. So, But if you have your Bibles there, we are in John chapter 7. We have been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of John for some time now. And I shared with you at the beginning of this series of messages, we are calling it or entitling this study, Getting to Know Jesus, Believe and live. And that really was John's desire for his readers. He wanted them to understand who Jesus Christ was, and as a result of understanding who Jesus Christ was, that they might believe on him and experience life to the fullest. I mean, you think about that for a moment. Isn't that what Jesus Christ came to give us? He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Sometimes we refer to that life as eternal life, don't we? The only problem with that word eternal, we think of as something we're going to experience down the road. But that's not true. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, at that moment in time, we receive eternal life. It's not about a quantity of life as much as it is 
a quality of life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're not experiencing the abundant life in your life right now as a follower of Christ, it's because there's something wrong. Jesus Christ wants you to experience life and have life to the fullest right now, not something in the future. And the great news is, is we can have that right now. You and I can experience life to the fullest. Jesus Christ never, ever challenges us to do anything in the Word of God that we cannot accomplish in His strength and in His power. If we are only willing to walk with Jesus Christ in obedience, living a life of service unto Him, He will empower us to experience abundant life right now. Life eternal right now, we can have it. Jesus Christ says, here it is. It's for the taking. It is ours. Well, if you were here a couple of Sundays ago, we left Jesus Christ in Judea at the end of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ had just preached this challenging message to his apostles, to his followers. It was a message about the cost of following him. When he was done with that sermon, it tells us right here in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John that many forsook him. Many left his side never to return again. The message was all about the cost of following Christ. I would submit to you this morning, that is one of the elements of the gospel that we have removed in the American church. In American Christianity, we have taken out the cost of following Christ. There is a cost in following Jesus Christ. And nowhere in Scripture does Jesus Christ ever challenge us to follow that he does not call for us to first consider the cost. How many of you remember the words of Jesus Christ where he says, the man who puts his hand to the plow doesn't look back? Have you ever tried to plow a field looking over your shoulder? No, you can't do that, can you? The only way we can live the Christian life is by considering the cost and keeping our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He challenges us to do that. Jesus goes on and he says, who builds a tower and doesn't first consider the cost. Isn't that true? Men, if you've built a home or you have redone a home like I did, you know what it is to consider the cost, don't you? Now, let me just say this. You start with one budget, you finish with another one. I can honestly testify to that this morning, but there's always a cost to consider. Well, that is so true in following Jesus Christ. We are called to consider the cost of following Christ. You know, want to know what the cost is? This is the cost. Sacrificing self. That is the cost. Dying to self so that Christ might live in and through you. So let me say this to you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this may come as a shock. It is not about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's no longer about what you want or you don't want. 
It's only about what Christ wants in your life and wants of you. That is scriptural. That is scriptural. Scriptural. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. When we trusted Jesus Christ, we gave up the rights to our life. That's what Paul is saying. The single greatest giant you and I will slay in our, in our lives is the giant of self. The giant of self. We're going to read about that in our story this morning. Chapter 7 of the Gospel of John centers around a major feast in Jewish culture. Jewish males were expected to attend three feasts at the temple each year. One was Passover, the second one was Pentecost, and the third one was the Feast of Tabernacles, or sometimes as it is referred to in this passage, the Feast of Booths. It was a joyous, joyous occasion. A time where the children of Israel stopped and remembered the provisions of God. How God had provided for their ancestors as they journeyed through the wilderness and how God continued to provide for all of their needs. Then it was also had future implications. It had future implications in the sense that it spoke about the promised coming Messiah and the kingdom he would set up here on earth. Now what's unique is we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this feast. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. Now we're going to read this story this morning that is found here in John chapter 7 verses 1 through 13. And I want you to just follow along with me this morning as I read this story. And what I want you to do is I want you to notice two different groups of people that are in this story. And I want you to notice their response to who Jesus Christ is. And then at the end of this story, I'm just going to take it and I want to make a, cup of, a couple of personal applications for our life this morning. So let's begin reading right here. Most people believe between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7 has been about a six-month period of time. Jesus left Judea. He traveled back north to Galilee because the Jewish leaders were trying to kill him and his time had not yet come. So let's pick up the story right here in chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the, Jews, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now I want you to stop right there because it is here that we see this first group of people, and we see or we notice their response to Jesus Christ. John records for us, it's the brothers of Jesus Christ that is in this dialogue or in this conversation with him. Now, these brothers are the sons of Mary and Joseph. 
They are the half-brothers of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I read this text right here, and I hear this dialogue, this interaction between Jesus Christ and his disciples, the first thing that I notice right away, that his brothers had no love loss for him. Do you notice that? I did when I read it. You can almost hear the ridicule in their voice. You can almost see the sarcasm dripping from their words. It's as though they're taunting Jesus Christ. It's as though they're saying, hey, Jesus, you want to be famous? If you want to be famous, why don't you go up there to that Jewish feast that is going on in Jerusalem at the temple? And you know what? If you do a few miracles, you may recover some of those disciples that you lost as a result of that ridiculous teaching You remember the one, Jesus, about where you said, if a person eats your flesh and drinks of your blood? Do you remember that one? So it's almost as though the disciples here are taunting Jesus Christ. Their response of Jesus' brother was, hey, Jesus, you need to promote yourself to the world. That's what he's saying. I mean, think about what they just said here. He says, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, hey, Jesus, show yourself to the world. Hey, Jesus, if you will only reveal yourself to the world, you know what will happen? Maybe you can recover some of those disciples you have lost along the way. Jesus, you know what you really need to do? Jesus, you need to promote yourself to the world. When I read this text, I see Jesus' brothers had no problem in offering him some unsolicited career advice about how to build his ministry. Can you see that here? Jesus, you want to gather a following? You want to be famous? You want people to come after you? Hey, go up there and put on a little show. Do a few miracles. And you know what? People will come running to you. Now just let me say this for a moment. There is a real danger in this. If we're not careful, the church can buy into the same thinking of Jesus' brothers. We can begin to convince ourselves we need to do something to promote our cause to the world. I want you to understand something. There is nothing wrong with inviting people to attend a worship service at Crestwood. There's nothing wrong going out into your community and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to be very careful that we don't use worldly methods to promote God's church because that is exactly what Jesus Christ refused to do in this passage of Scripture. When God does something in the midst of his people, we won't have to stand on top of a platform and announce it to the world. We need to be careful that we do not try to use gimmicks and marketing strategies to attract a crowd to God's church. If we simply lift Jesus Christ up, He will draw people unto himself. So let's go back to this story and let's look at it again. I want you to hear how Jesus Christ responds to his brothers. 
Now listen to what he says here in verse 5. Verse 5 is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Listen to what he says here. For not even his brothers believed in him. Isn't that sad? Not even his brothers believed in him. Now listen to verse 6. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much murmuring about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. You need to underline that. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now this is the second group in the story. First group was who? Jesus' brothers. The second group in this story is the crowd that has gathered at the temple. Now, did you hear what they said about Jesus Christ? When they spoke about Jesus Christ, they said, Here is a good man. That was their estimation of who Jesus Christ was. Now, when I hear that statement, I think every one of us this morning, or the majority of us that have gathered here, would all agree, indeed, Jesus Christ is a good man, is he not? No doubt Jesus Christ had many good teachings. And if we just simply applied those teachings in our life, it would make the world a much better place, would it not? Jesus Christ was a good man. He did good things to good people. I mean, for people, didn't he? He provided healing for them. He provided food for them. Indeed, Jesus Christ was a good man. But can I say this to you this morning? Simply believing that Jesus Christ is a good man will not give a person eternity eternal life. There's nothing wrong with their statement. As a matter of fact, I would say their statement is very true. Indeed, Jesus Christ is a good man. The problem is the statement doesn't go far enough. Jesus Christ is much more than just a good man. Is he not? Is he not? Indeed, he is. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God in the human flesh. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Messiah, the long-awaited Christ of the children of Israel. Jesus Christ was much more than just a good man. Two groups in this story and two different responses that were both equally wrong. That's what you see in this story. Do you see that here? Jesus Christ, what you need to do is to be a showman. You need to promote yourself to the world. Jesus Christ, you're a good man. And you know what? You're a prophet and you're a good teacher and you've done many good things for people. Two different opinions that were both equally wrong in this story. Spent a lot of time this week looking at this particular story, just meditating on the words of Jesus Christ. 
thinking about how does a story like this really apply to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to offer you two personal applications from this story for your life. Number one, it is possible to grow up in the church, hear the teachings concerning Jesus Christ, and be familiar with Him and still be spiritually lost. Let me say it one more time. Listen to it carefully. It is possible to grow up in the church, hear the teachings concerning Jesus Christ, be familiar with Him, and still be spiritually lost. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is verse 5 of this story. Verse 5, it says this. This is the words that John recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For not even his brothers believed in him. I want you to think about that for a moment. They had grown up with Jesus Christ. There is no doubt they had heard Jesus Christ's teachings They had heard his claim that he made the claim that he was God in the human flesh. I would even suggest to you this morning that they had seen many of the miracles that Jesus Christ had performed. They were very familiar with who Jesus Christ was and they still did not believe in him. Do you see what I'm saying? It is possible to be very familiar with Jesus Christ and still be lost. You see that in this story? You must personally believe in Him as the Lord who saves, that He is the one who bore my sins at the cross and paid the penalty for me. That is what it means to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, one of the things that I've seen with Christianity in America, we have removed the Lordship of Christ completely from Christianity. And what we have told people is all you simply need to do is believe in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Now, I'm not saying that that is unimportant, but I would tell you simply believing that Jesus Christ hung and died on the cross and rose from the grave saves no one. It does not save someone. It is only as we trust Jesus Christ with our lives. It is only as we yield ourselves completely unto Him. It is only as we recognize that Jesus indeed is the Lord who saves. That is the reason Scripture calls for us to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in our heart that God raised Him for the dead. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You cannot separate the two. If you receive Him as Savior, you must receive Him as Lord. If you receive Him as Lord, it means you have received Him as Savior of the world. That is the only way you can come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to believe that He is the Lord who saves. It is possible to grow up in the church, hear the teachings concerning Jesus Christ, and be very familiar with Him and still be spiritually lost. 
It was true of Jesus' brothers in this story. Number two, a second application we see in this story is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be at war with the world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be at war with the world. I want you to go back to this text, and I want you to listen to how Jesus Christ responds to them. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of this passage of Scripture. The world cannot hate you. Now, do you know why Jesus Christ makes that statement of his brothers? He makes that statement of his brothers because they hadn't believed on him. They were a part of the world. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. The world doesn't hate you, and the world doesn't hate you because you belong to the world, is what Jesus Christ is saying to them. Now listen to what else he says. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. That its works are evil. You are either a friend of the world and an enemy of God, or you are a friend of God and an enemy of the world. Now we know in this passage of Scripture that Jesus Christ is referring to Himself, that the world hates Him, and He hates the world. Now those are hard words, aren't they? But can I say to you, it's the truth of Scripture. But what about us? As followers of Jesus Christ, Does God really expect us to hate the world? I want you to listen to Scripture and you judge for yourself, all right? 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Please don't be upset with me. I'm just sharing God's Word with you this morning. That's God speaking to us today. Those are not my words. John wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now we need to understand what it is John is referring to when he uses the word world. He's not referring to the created world. I don't know about you, but I enjoy the created world. I'm an outdoors kind of guy. I love to hunt and I love to fish. I love to watch the sunrise. I love to watch the sunset. I love to go outside my house and see a big full moon at night and see all the stars in the sky. God has made the earth creation to declare His glory of who He is. We shouldn't hate that world. That's not what John is referring to. Neither is he referring to humankind when he uses this word world. He's actually referring to a mindset, a philosophy that stands directly opposed to everything that God stands for and all that God teaches us in His Word. It is living for self in the pleasures of this world. It's a mindset that is centered on self, getting all that I can get out of this world for me. That is the mindset that He is speaking about here. We need to remind ourselves as followers of Christ, we have been called to live in the world, but not be of the world. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you doing on that? 
That's challenging, isn't it? Isn't it so challenging to live in the world and not be of the world? I mean, you can kind of equate it like this. How many of you have ever walked around in a pig pen? Have you ever done that? My grandfather owned pigs. I would tell you today, it is utterly impossible to walk around in a pig pen and not get dirty. Isn't it true? Isn't that the challenge we face in our world? Doesn't sometimes the world dirty us up? You see, it really boils down to this one question. Who am I in love with? Who are you in love with today? Are you in love with Jesus Christ? Or are you in love with the world? Now some of you may be saying, you know what, preacher, I love them both. It's impossible. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. Jesus either has all of your allegiance or the world has all of your allegiance. That's the truth of God's Word. If you want to know which one you truly love, the best way to determine that is just look at the life that you live. If you love the world, you will live for the things of the world that bring you pleasure. If you love Jesus Christ, you will serve Him in those things that He values, you will value in life. The question that each one of us must ask ourselves this morning is this. Who am I truly in love with? Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of it and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation and opportunity for us to respond to you,